Welcome to the Common Cause for Sustainability podcast miniseries, Sustainable Living for University of Washington Bothell and Cascadia College. My name is Noah. And my name is Emily. And we will be your hosts today. Today we will be talking about e-waste and towards the end of the episode we will be interviewing two representatives from eCycle Washington, Christine Houn and Lindsay Ladd, so be sure to stick around for that. E-waste is any discarded electrical or electronic devices having been discarded either because they were unwanted or because they reached the end of their life. 40 million tons of e-waste are produced globally every year, valued at over $60 billion annually. Wow, that's an insane amount of e-waste that we produce. And there's definitely an inequity there with richer countries producing the vast amount of e-waste and developing countries often uh, create rudimentary and unsafe e-waste salvage markets around this system. And only 12.5% of e-waste actually gets recycled. Wow, that that reminds me of another fact I heard, which is that e-waste represents 2% of America's trash and landfills but it equals 70% of overall toxic waste. To illustrate that point, it takes 530 pounds of fossil fuel, 48 pounds of chemicals, and 1.5 tons of water to manufacture one computer and monitor. Electronics produce a lot of waste, and not just ordinary waste, toxic waste with toxic chemicals. And it takes tons of resources to even make electronics. So this is um, a very wasteful sector in our, in our society. I'm interested as to how this problem got started. Yeah, so e-waste has been around for a while. However, the need for proper disposal of this electronic waste began in the mid-70s. So the U.S. passed the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, which made it illegal to dump electronic waste in the U.S., I see. Well, it clearly looks like that that policy didn't go far enough because we have such an e-waste problem in yeah. our current day. I think the loophole here is that it's not being dumped in the U.S. It's being dumped in some other countries. So why do we as a society consume so many electronic devices? I think a big part of it, especially in America, is like having the newest technology can be seen as a social status. If you have the newest iPhone or the newest Apple Watch, it's kind of a way to show people maybe, you know, your your higher status or, you know, you're more rich Uh, or people just like to have new things. So I'd say a huge part of it is our culture. I agree. A lot of times people upgrade their phones, even though their phone that they have is working perfectly fine. It's just that there's a new one. Yeah, I mean, especially with, new iPhones coming out like almost every year. It's Mm -hmm. almost like these companies are telling you subtly, like you should be getting a new iPhone every year. Like it's time to upgrade now. But a lot of times, like you said, it's really not necessary. Yeah. And I feel like the improvements on these new phones aren't that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You'd be lucky if, like, the new iPhone has one new good feature, but 
it's definitely they they just get slowly incrementally changed over time as the world rises in affluence and technology improves electronic devices are becoming more accessible in developing countries and more integrated in developed countries so there are hundreds of millions of people getting access to technology they didn't otherwise have due to the rising affluence I mean, technology just has so many opportunities to improve our society, but I just think the problem is it, there's so many problems with the technology we have. One of the biggest problems clearly is planned and perceived obsolescence in our electronics. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why we have so much e-waste. So what is planned obsolescence? Planned obsolescence is basically when a manufacturer will produce a certain consumer item with the intention of it not working past a certain point. And the overarching idea here is that they want people to buy a new product, like an iPhone, have it slow down or break, and then have them just buy a new model of it. And this way is extremely profitable because they can continually sell out and push new merchandise just due to the fact that they're intentionally building them to break. So it sounds like these products are built to last just long enough that the customer feels justified buying a new one when it does eventually break down. Exactly. And, and these devices so often are not built with the intent for repairs. And some companies will even make it difficult or impossible to repair. I know with laptops becoming so much more compact, um, it becomes harder and harder to disassemble them, replace parts, make repairs. So I see what you mean there. Yeah, it's actually really interesting because ongoing right now in the U.S. are right to repair legal battles. Uh, th this started actually with farmers who got John Deere tractors they wanted to repair their tractors, but the company John Deere started telling them, no, you have to bring it in to repair it. You have to do it through us. And eventually Apple got thrown into the mix. As Apple started telling phone repair people that they couldn't repair Apple products anymore, there's a legal battle fighting for people's rights to repair their products after they bought them, which I think is absolutely somebody's right. I think it's ridiculous that any company should tell you you can't repair something after you've bought it. Yeah, and even if you are legally allowed to repair something, it's very hard to find replacement parts or someone who knows how to repair something. And oftentimes it's just cheaper to replace the whole thing, so. Yeah, but something I've actually seen recently in this realm is I've seen viral videos showing people taking apart their phones and just basic like maintenance and easy repairs and stuff. So I don't know, I was glad to see that because I, I think it's, it, it's good that people are starting to learn at least a little bit how to do some general repairs and maintenance. And along with the planned obsolescence, like I was saying, it's either products will break or in Apple's case, and this has been proved, they actually will slow down old iPhones to incentivize buying the newest model. Apple claims this was to protect the functionality of older models, but it's held pretty high in the common belief that, yeah, they're just doing planned obsolescence to try and get people to buy new phones. 
Yeah, I can personally say that this has happened to my phone. Um, it's just frustrating that I can't like update the software or run certain apps. It's because they pour so much into advertising the new model of phone every year. They have to figure out some way to get people to convince themselves that they need a new phone. And if they can't convince people that they need a new phone, they just slow down the old phones. So I think we kind of talked about this, but what is perceived obsolescence and how is it different from planned obsolescence? Well, perceived obsolescence takes more of a social lens to the e-waste issue. Perceived obsolescence is more of, an example would be, you buy a new phone and after three years you get a new phone because everybody else has the new phone. It's you perceiving that you need something new, not actually anything to do with the functionality of the product. Yeah, so you, you find out there's something new or something better than what you have. So you feel what you have is no longer adequate. Yeah, it's just that constant cycle of upgrading. But it is hard sometimes, especially when there's like three or four year gaps between products. With iPhones, as an example, an iPhone 7 compared to an iPhone 8, like, I don't know the differences, but if you compare an iPhone 4 to an iPhone 8, genuinely, it does run much better just because technology is moving so fast. My thought is that, why did they have to make the 5, 6, and 7? Why couldn't they just skip those and go from 4, and then 4 years later, just make an 8, or it would be a 5? You see what I mean? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day... It's just to fill their pockets, of course, but... Yeah. Anyways, so do you and I produce a lot of e-waste? What do you think for yourself? E-waste, since it's such a specific category of waste, I I'm always more mindful about it. I'd say, like, out of the electronics I accumulate the most of would be probably, like we discussed, old phones, and then appliances and chargers and maybe cameras. But there's also single-use disposable e-waste that tends to accumulate a lot without people realizing it. And that would be stuff such as batteries or LED light bulbs, actually. For me, I would say mostly old chargers, because like after having them for a long time, they, they just break. <laughs> and also headphones, like the wired headphones, those always break after like a year. So... I would say those are my two main like, categories of e-waste. I don't really upgrade my phone that often. I've actually only ever had one smartphone <laughs> and it's time for an upgrade, I think. Yeah. Going back to your earlier point, again, with the planned obsolescence, like you bring up such a good point. Like all these different electronic devices like chargers and headphones really do only last you, like depending on what you buy, of course, a year or two. Yeah. It's just a crazy business model that they only build certain products to survive a certain amount of time. And it's just one of the most unsustainable things I could think of as far as manufacturing goes. Yeah. And it's just annoying to have to keep repurchasing these things. Exactly. And another thing is, and Apple does this a lot, is they mess with their hardware to force you to buy new accessories Example, they, they did this twice. The first time was when they removed the headphone jack. And the second time is in the future, they're planning to remove the charging port. So by doing these things, they're basically saying, if you have an iPhone, 
you're going to have to buy a new pair of headphones if you don't have Bluetooth headphones. Or if you have an iPhone, you're going to have to buy a new type of charger. Or even with their past products, just every new model, like on their Macs, changing the charging port. So you have to buy a new charger. But if you think about it, like wireless charging, you don't have the wire chargers and then maybe you're eliminating that e-waste. Yeah, that's definitely something to consider because I bet those charging pads would last a lot longer than chargers. What are some other disposable electronics besides the ones we already mentioned? Things that come to mind, something maybe specific is on planes, disposable headphones they give you just for the plane ride or headphones they give you for like audio tours that you just throw away once you're done with. That's like probably one of the worst things I can think of. Uh, something else kind of random I've noticed is e-cigarettes. I see these outside everywhere now, especially because, like I said earlier, I live next to sororities and fraternities. So I see a lot of vape bars everywhere, and they're really easy to spot because they're, like, brightly colored. The the vapes that a lot of people use now, like the e-cigarettes, are, are disposable batteries, so a lot of times people just use them for like a week or two and then they just get thrown away. That's how they're like designed. Just all around not a good thing for your health or for the environment. Yeah. Other things is ink cartridges. And something to mention about that is there's certain ink companies where you can actually ship them back your ink cartridge once you're done using it and they'll refill it for you and send it back. And uh, disposable cameras, that's another thing. I know those kind of have taken a, a little bit of a resurgence in popularity, maybe in recent times. So we talked about how much of an issue e-waste is and how it can manifest itself in our lives. What are some solutions to e-waste? Like we mentioned before, repairing. Um, if you can find a place to get it repaired, that's a better solution than just throwing it away. Um, but there is like the price consideration. Sometimes repairing an item can be more expensive than actually buying a new version of the item. One tip that I have is instead of buying a new phone, maybe the battery life of your phone can be improved just by replacing the battery and not the entire phone. I know for a fact that you can do that with your phones. So maybe look into a place that can switch out your phone battery. Yeah, that's something to definitely keep in mind. And something else I know we talked about previously is buying refurbished phones. Uh, I know I said I'd be willing to do it if I knew it worked just as good. So what about recycling? Is that a viable option as a solution to e-waste? Well, it depends because, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of gray area with recycling it really matters what happens to our e-waste after we send it off to recycling. Yeah, it, it, it's really hard to know if you recycle e-waste. Is it just going to get sent to, like I was saying earlier, developing countries? And is this going to be getting people sick, getting people exposed to toxic metals? So it, it, it can be hard to know sometimes where you should really recycle it. I know... There's some companies like Whole Foods or Home Depot, Lowe's or Staples, they, they accept dead batteries or, you know, Best Buy has those, those big bins out front where they accept smaller electronics like chargers and headphones. They also accept larger electronics for a small fee. So that, that's something to keep in mind. 
Yes, eCycle Washington is a program that can help you find where to bring your old electronics, ensure that they get recycled. Yeah, and something that also just comes to mind is Apple has a take back program for all of its products. So if you're an Apple fan, that's definitely something to look into. So is recycling really a responsible way of dealing with e-waste? Like I was saying, it's hard to know. And I think the best thing you can do is just try and research whatever company or organization you're recycling through. I know there are many trusted organizations such as eCycle Washington, which we will surely get into the interview. But yeah, it's just about researching and making sure that you're dealing with a reliable organization. Yeah. And lastly, we should mention that the best way to reduce your e-waste is just to buy fewer electronics. Maybe not upgrading your phone every time a new phone comes out. Keep your electronics for as long as they possibly can last. Buy a screen protector for your phone, a phone case, all that. Just take care of your electronics so that they last a long time. Yeah, and... On top of that, just buy things you know will last. Buy maybe a little higher quality electronics. I know I used to buy headphones from the Dollar Tree. And I would have them for two weeks. And then they would break. And then I'd just buy a new pair. So sometimes the quality has a lot to do with the sustainability of what you're buying. Without further ado, please welcome to Sustainable Living our guests from eCycle Washington. So if you would, please introduce yourself and your role at eCycle Washington. I'm Christine Hahn and I'm the lead for the eCycle program. I began working with the Department of Ecology back in 2009. And from the start, I've always been with the eCycle program. Each year I help over 300 electronic manufacturers like Samsung, Dell or Microsoft and retailers like Costco meet the requirements of the law that established this program. And so my main role is to ensure that all electronic manufacturers and retailers selling into Washington are participating in the program. Otherwise they can't legally sell into Washington. And for manufacturers, the requirements include financing recycling program with collection locations throughout the state. And for retailers, that includes only selling manufacturers electronics that are participating in the program. And Ecology is also tasked with promoting the program, and we're always looking for outreach opportunities, which are few and far between these days. I am Lindsay Ladd. I work with Christine in the eCycle program. Um, I started in this program last May, um, but I've been at Ecology since 2017. and I help ensure that all of the collectors, transporters, and manufacturers in our program get registered annually, as well as keeping our database and web pages up to date um, and kind of other random things that come up. <laughs> um, and I'm also the main contact for the Mercury Lights Recycling Program at Ecology. And even though she was hired in May, we have still yet to meet in person. <laughs> I know, <laughs> we've been remote the whole time. <laughs> And, and when and why was eCycle Washington established and what, what work does eCycle Washington do and what services do they offer? The um, program came about from a national dialogue that took place back in 2000. It was called the National Electronics Product Stewardship Initiative and it's 
often referred to as NEPSI. It brought together electronic manufacturers, state and local government agencies, recyclers, and non-governmental organizations to discuss how to increase the reuse and recycling of electronics and tried to figure out how to uh, sustainably finance the system with funding coming from the manufacturers. And so they were looking at this model of manufacturer financing, and that's called extended producer responsibility, often referred to as EPR. And they focused on televisions, monitors, computers, laptops, and computer peripherals like printers or copiers. So there was a lot of big companies at the table, a lot of states at the table. And unfortunately though, the meetings were unable to lead to an agreement for a national solution. And the piece of sustainably financing, it really was the hurdle for a national program. There just wasn't an opportunity where people could agree on how to finance it. So a lot of great ideas came from participating in NEPSI. There were people from Ecology, City of Seattle, King County, and they, those people brought back that momentum from NEPSI. And they began working on developing a statewide solution. And that's where eCycle came from. The biggest difference is that our state did not focus on computer peripherals. We've just focused on TVs, monitors, computers, and laptops. So our, our scope of products covered in the program is a little bit smaller. But the law actually passed in 2007 with stakeholder input. And it wasn't until 2009 when collection actually began. So the law created the Washington Materials Management and Financing Authority called the WMMFA. And they actually operate the statewide standard recycling plan that all the manufacturers belong to. And there's over 300 collection sites across the state. And those collection sites can be found in stores like Video Only, nonprofits like Goodwill, local government transfer stations, and other private businesses. And in our program, manufacturers are required to maintain a collection network in each county and a city and in cities with a population of 10,000 or more. There's about 20 plus other states that have electronics recycling programs. And one of the biggest pieces in the law that passed that I think leads to a lot of our program success is that retailers can only sell products for manufacturers participating in the program. And they also have to promote the eCycle collection network. So for example, Target prints um, a phone number at the bottom of their receipts at the point of sale and it promotes the 1-800-RECYCLE hotline that we have at Ecology, which promotes the eCycle Washington collection sites. Yeah, so I guess I'll cover um what the program does. You kind of covered it a little bit already, Christine, but um, uh, the, it makes it easy for Washington res residents to recycle their broken, obsolete, or worn out electronics and uh, do it for free. Um, and electronics included in the program are TVs, computers, laptops, monitors, tablets, and e-readers, um, and portable DVD players. 
there are collections in every county, like Christine said, over 300 locations um, across the state. And collection events are also held periodically um, just to ensure that everyone has access to the service. Since the program started in 2009, it, ha it has collected over 426 million pounds of electronics for recycling. And around 80% of those pounds are televisions alone. The program is funded by the electronics manufacturers, um, which is an example of producer responsibility, where the company that makes the product is responsible for recycling the product at the end of its life. So manufacturers include the costs of, their, of recycling their products into the cost of doing business. We assess an annual administrative fee to cover the costs uh, for implementing the program, and that fee is distributed among manufacturers on a sliding scale based on the tiers that are representative annual sales of their covered electronic products in or into Washington. And how have electronics become such a large category of waste? Yeah, so um, since you know the early 2000s, there's been kind of an exponential increase in the amount of electronics that Americans have been buying, and it's expected to keep growing because when people upgrade to a newer version of their devices, there's a need to dispose the old ones. In 2010, around 4% of adults in the U.S. reported to own tablets, and by 2015, that number was at nearly 50%. In 2019, 74% of adults in the U.S. owned computers or laptops. Desktop computers have an average lifespan of like three to eight years, while laptops have an average lifespan of three to five years. So not super long time. Also in 2017, 97% of American households were reported to have at least one television and 39% of them have three or more in the household. TVs have a similar lifespan to computers averaging around five to seven years. So it's just a lot of electronics that are kind of always needing to be upgraded. Um, and then the old ones will be need to be disposed of at the end of their life. And why is e-waste specifically an environmental issue? Why, why is it important that these get uh, sustainably recycled instead of sent to a landfill? And, and why, why are they handled differently than other types of trash? Yeah, so uh, many electronics contain valuable raw materials that can be reused rather than having to harvest more. This saves energy, prevents more environmental harm from mining or gathering the materials. Also, a lot of older electronics contain toxic materials like lead or mercury or cadmium. Lead poisoning is especially harmful for babies and children, um, which can cause things like developmental delays, learning difficulties, weight loss, uh, a bunch of things. Mercury exposure can cause hearing and speech difficulties, lack of coordination, muscle weakness. And some of these things, if severe enough, uh, exposure can sometimes be fatal. And recycling these items means that we can handle the toxic materials safely and keep them out from entering a landfill where they could potentially contaminate like soil, groundwater, or air. Landfill space is also becoming more limited. Um, so this is helping to reduce the amount we send to landfills in Washington state. What can one do as an individual to reduce the amount of e-waste they produce? And this is Christine, I'll, I'll go for that question. So I think it really starts with if your device is still working, you know, don't upgrade to the newest model, or at least ask yourself, do you really need to upgrade? Is it just the difference of a, a larger screen? Is there a new 
color option that's available? What, you know, is it just an aesthetic feature that you're looking at? Do you really need to upgrade? And if you don't, then just hold on to your laptop or your television. And if it's broken, there's always the option of repair. I've, I've got a tablet right now with a broken screen and I'm not replacing it. I'm just going to get the screen repaired. There's a lot of local shops, probably far, far more in Seattle than we have around here in Olympia, but I'm, I've seen them, you know, that will do screen replacements for a laptop or for your um, tablet. And then you can also consider buying a new battery. A lot of the time a device still works. It's just the battery went out. And I had a laptop, the battery went out on and the replacement cost almost as much as getting a new laptop. But I went ahead and went online and just found a knockoff battery and saved myself a few hundred dollars and prolonged the life of my laptop. And then I was also able to resell that laptop laptop later on when I was done with it. So there's also a really great resource if you're into repairing things yourself. I promote this service any chance I get. There's an online resource called iFixit. So if you go to ifixit.com, they have a lot of repair manuals available. They have videos showing you how to tear down certain, all various types of electronics from coffee makers to washing machines. And they also can provide tools. So if you're interested in purchasing a screwdriver to get into any of your electronics, they can even provide those tools. So definitely consider repairing. And then if you do decide to purchase a new item, you can also find like on Amazon, they've got uh, units available that are, have been refurbished. So if you're gonna buy something, maybe don't buy something brand new consider buying something that's been refurbished and those generally have a warranty with them. And then if you are going to buy a brand new product, consider donating or selling your other items if they still work. There's some online resources that will buy back your used electronics. There's a program called Amazon Trade-In, Target Trade-In. I've personally used a service called Gazelle and another service I find really helpful. There's an app called OfferUp, if you're not familiar with that, but you can sell your anything. You can sell or donate or, you know, give, give away for free on OfferUp, just about anything. And then when it comes time that you're looking at this new unit that you want to purchase, I recommend looking for products that have recycled content in them. HP has a new laptop that uses recycled plastics. Dell has a laptop that not only do they consider using plastic, uh, recycled plastic, but they also use recycled materials in the packaging that the laptop arrives in. So there's manufacturers out there who are really making an effort to be sustainable and have a closed loop with their products. Another resource, again, if you wanna look at repairability scores, that is also on iFixit's website. And that way you're supporting brands that are easy to take apart and have tools and replacement parts for repair. EPA also has a resource, it's called EPEAT. It stands for Electronic Product Environmental Assessment Tool. And consumers can search for EPEAT registered products and see how they score. And the more sustainable, the higher the score. And that's 
also at epeat.net. And hopefully one day we're going to get here in Washington a, uh, a bill passed, it's called Right to Repair Legislation. And this year there was House Bill 1212 that had a hearing. And so I think a lot of people, one of the things they can do is support when these new bills come up each year that um, support support right to repair. It's it's means that there's going to be resources made available if this passes that will help people and help companies, you know, local businesses who want to provide repair services. And each year since 2017, a bill's been introduced, but it hasn't passed yet. And just on a side note, this isn't in our program, but in France, they actually just started requiring that manufacturers provide a repairability score to the consumers directly. And so washing machines, laptops, smartphones, TVs, and lawnmowers will have labels that kind of score the ease of repairability of those items, the price of spare parts, the availability of spare parts, and the availability of repair manuals. And that that's, I don't know if we'll ever have that sort of legislation in Washington, but it really does start with these right to repair bills and getting one of those passed so that we as consumers can have access to be able to repair our products. And what happens to our e-waste when it gets recycled? How can one be assured that when e-waste is recycled, it, it will be done so in a socially and environmentally responsible way? That, that's one of the goals of the eCycle Washington program is to understand and know where is this material going. The program really isn't about repairing or reselling units. It's, it really is focused on recycling. So what happens is these materials are broken down into commodities that are used in other processes or used in other products like the glass, metal, and plastics. We, we don't want to see these whole units being dumped in other countries. And for the e-cycle program, we have six processors. So our program is voluntary. If you want to be a collector or a transporter or a processor, it is voluntary. So there are other choices consumers have. They have other choices where they may want to take their television for recycling. But in our program with our six processors, which are the recyclers, the material is brought to them from one of our collection sites. And five of those processors are actually in Washington and one of them is in Oregon. And at this location, this is where the materials can be separated, dismantled or shredded in preparation for further processing downstream. And so to be in our program, because it's voluntary, they, we require that processors have due diligence to only work with the downstream vendors who meet these, the uh, eCycle Washington's program standards. We have preferred performance standards that they have to meet and anyone that they contract with also is required to meet these standards. And so, so <clears throat> once electronics are dismantled, the materials may go to a smelter, battery recyclers, the recyclers use the zinc, manganese, lithium, and cobalt. Tile manufacturers use the recycled CRT glass. Fluorescent lamp recyclers recover mercury, phosphorus powder, and other metals and glass. 
and specifically for the collected products for the e-cycle program, materials of concern are tracked to their actual end destination. So we know what country and what business actually will be receiving the circuit boards, batteries, the leaded glass, and the fluorescent tubes that come out of these materials. Um, other materials like plastic and metals are also tracked by the country that ends up being their end of life destination. And occasionally, some flat panel displays and laptops may go to a vendor located in the United States that repair and resell the displays, but we don't have a lot of reuse of the collective material. So it really is about these products getting broken down and the uh, commodities being sold on the market. Because the program is voluntary, again, one of the other standards the processors have to meet is having an annual audit by a third party independent auditor. And so each processor in the program is annually audited to meet the program's 19 preferred performance standards. The auditor verifies the shipping and transport documents and chain of custody documents. And some processors are also voluntarily being certified to a certification. And there's two that are available. There's one called R2 and the other is called eStewards. So half of the processors in our program have either of these certifications. So in addition to our program's annual audits, they are also being audited to these voluntary certification standards. And there unfortunately has been a time when one of our processors was found to not fully be disclosing one of their downstream vendors. And so, so because this happened, the WM, WMMFA, who's operating the standard recycling plan, they decided to proactively partner with a service called EarthEye. And they use GPS trackers to verify where materials are being sent. So for example, EarthEye can drop off, they can take a flat panel television and render it unrepairable and drop it off at one of our eCycle collection sites. And from there, we can see it being picked up. If, if everything's going as it should be, the tracker will show it's being picked up by one of our registered transporters and then taken to one of our registered processors for recycling. And this shows that the material is being managed as reported by the processor in their annual audits. If we see um, something going to Canada, maybe there's a smelter up there, then that we match that with what's on their records and it's correct. But if we saw something maybe going to Egypt, well, we have no approved processors, there should be nothing going to Egypt. And so that, that processor would have a further follow-up and investigation of what's going on. So I would say these trackers are really a game changer from what's happened in the past because it ensures the materials end up in the right places. But it also, even though I think all of our recyclers are doing the best that, that they can do, I think it keeps even the best recyclers vigilant of what their partners are doing downstream and it keeps them a bit more engaged. And sometimes even at a collection site, our collectors are reimbursed, they're paid by the manufacturers for the weight that they collect. But sometimes even at our collection sites, they might find a vendor who might pay them more for laptops. And so 
if they want to work with an outside vendor, then they can't be part of our program because we can't guarantee what that other vendor is doing. And so these trackers can show us if something might be going outside of the system that maybe they're not handling things incorrectly, but it's still not part of the program standards. And so I think between the audits and the trackers, the majority of the materials been being accounted for. And that really is the goal is to ensure it's not being dumped on other countries. Definitely sounds like there's some really good measures in place of accountability. Sounds like a great working system there. Well, uh, once again, Christine and Lindsay, thank you so much for talking with us. I think we talked about some really interesting and important things. Yeah, thank you so much for having us, Noah. And if anybody is looking for resources on how to recycle their, for our program specifically, it covers TVs, laptops, computers, monitors, tablets, they can call 1-800-RECYCLE and they can find out a location to take those items to for free. And if they have anything to recycle outside of our program material, they can also call 1-800-RECYCLE to find out where they may be able to take materials that like mattresses or paint or mer mercury bulbs. Lindsay can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 1-800-RECYCLE is a great resource. And if you want, you can also just go online and Google 1-800-RECYCLE. And yeah. there's a database that people can search. So you can search by zip code, county. There's a lot of resources available, not just the eCycle Washington program, but there are a lot of opportunities for recycling. Yeah, yeah, I was going to suggest the database too, because it's, it's uh, pretty easy to use and it's very uh, helpful. Wonderful. Well, thank you again to the both of you for this conversation. Yeah, no problem. Thank you all for joining us today on the Common Cause for Sustainability podcast. We will see you next time.